0: Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good, a podcast where we learn from those doing good in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the world. The globe. So, so, Yeah, some might say the globe. Why they care, what we can do, and most importantly, what you can do. Pod for Good is produced and edited by Randine Productions, which is me. So if you like how we sound and are thinking about starting a podcast, get in line. I'm busy now. Pod for Good can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. Please, if you enjoy what we do here, please make sure to subscribe. Write us a review, even, because getting a little bare in the reviews and i'm getting a little annoyed about it i'm still mad about three-star guy three-star guy come at me you know what it could be it could be a woman it could be a they we don't know it's probably your nemesis mm. your frenemy mm. listen i was like nemesis i have many <laughs> which one anyway just rise a review please all right <laughs> i'm your chief philanthropod and class clown for issues being complex not complicated jesse Ulrich.
1: And I'm your Vice Admiral Philanthropod and Class Clown for Abiding. That'll make sense later. Chris Miller.
0: In this episode, we are talking with Cecilia Wessinger, Director of Global Community for the Global Entrepreneurship Network.
1: We talked to Cecilia about ecosystem building, rainforests versus plantations, and why you should join her for some
2: soup.
0: Enjoy. We are very excited to have Cecilia Wessinger on the podcast. Cecilia, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. It's Monday. So Cecilia, I've known you for a couple of years now, and you are certainly one of the most, I think, beloved people in Tulsa amongst Uh, a a very fascinating subset of people that I interact with. But what you do, I I think once you explain it, it's going to make sense to people. But you are an ecosystem builder. So Mm. for our audience... Tell us what that means.
2: That's probably one of the top three questions people ask me. What the heck is entrepreneurial ecosystem Mm -hmm. building and how do you do it? And I focus on entrepreneurial ecosystem building and and we can talk about that. The term ecosystem builder, it was a a term that was adopted from a Harvard Business Review article back in the, the 20, I think about 2010. A guy who I will not talk about wrote about entrepreneurship as an ecosystem. And that was the first reference. And then um, some people that I worked with, namely Victor Huang, who was the vice president of entrepreneurship at the Kauffman Foundation, wrote a book called The Rainforest and likened the Silicon Valley entrepreneurial environment to a rainforest and how it differed from the approach that we take when when we try to curate and cultivate things Like, how do you get away from plantation mentality to the, oh, let's plant certain things and and we'll cultivate and we'll weed and we'll make sure that 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 thing that we recognize is valuable thrives. And then the other stuff just kind of goes away. But he said, you know, in a rainforest, you can't tell the difference between a weed and the next cure for cancer, right? You just like everything grows and then some things flourish and some things die and the things that die nurture the the soil in which new ideas and new innovation come from so so that's what silicon valley's like it's it's this ecosystem except that we try to to maintain and curate it like a plantation so we identify certain ideas and and things. And he does a great TED talk. So if you ever get a chance to listen to that, he'll show you the graphic. And, and it's interesting when you put those things together, like, like when you talk about curation and cultivation and, and those things, and then you look at experimentation and play and, and how you fail and things, and you put those, those words side by side, they're almost exactly opposite, Right. And so we keep doing the thing and expecting different results. And we all know what that's a definition for. So mm-hmm. so to get back to this ecosystem building thing, it wasn't a term that people used very much for a long time. And then all of a sudden it got some traction. So now everybody says ecosystem and everybody says ecosystem building and they use the terms. And I kind of feel like the, that whole princess bride meme it's like i don't think it means what you think it means and so to me this ecosystem building thing is the intersection of community building and in the economic development world it's um or the entrepreneurial ecosystem building world it is for me the intersection between economic development community building and workforce and how does that all come together And we had a little argument about, is it ecosystem building? Is it ecosystem development? And building has traction, right? Right now, everybody says ecosystem building. So now, if you want to be nuanced in, oh, but you're not actually building an ecosystem because ecosystems already exist, then then you got to get a whole bunch of people to adopt (laughs) this new term. Not easy. Right and, and so I tend to think about this building aspect. Like, what does a builder do? So builder takes the resources that are available and helps facilitate and create something. Now, that thing, all the components were there. You just didn't utilize it in that particular way. And for me, ecosystem building sits between the grassroots all of the the things that come up naturally and the grass tops or the top down where, where ideas and notions and, and all kinds of things are conceptualized and it meets in this messy middle. And the ecosystem building part is like, what do you do with that messy middle? And if you create a movement or an initiative without any kind of framework, it's really continues to be messy, right? So what an ecosystem builder does, in my opinion, is it takes all the, of those elements and identifies them so that people can decide where they want to play and what role they take on in this environment to create this robust, flourishing thing. So, so I think of us as people who build framework right? Like scaffolding. And scaffolding isn't meant to be there forever. Scaffolding just gives you an aim. So that's what ecosystem building is to me. And people who do it in the entrepreneurial space, they can come at it from a number of different roles, right? And and there's a really cool video that I'll share with you that talks about how People in different sectors, government, education, there's um, workforce people, like all of these people come together and they're all doing their jobs, right? And then people in entrepreneurial spaces, incubators, accelerators, co-working spaces, they're doing their thing. There's a difference between somebody who does that work and somebody who's an ecosystem builder in that they're the person that makes the connections, that identifies the dots and links them together. They don't have to be the, the person in the middle. There's a big difference between an ecosystem builder and an ego system builder, right? So, so it's that taking that that, and if you go to any community and you ask people, hey, I've got an idea and I want to just bring this to fruition. What should I do? And I would say if somebody gave you 10 names and you talked to 10 different people. Two or three of those names are going to come up over and over again. Those are your ecosystem builders. Does that resonate? Yes. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because in Tulsa, that one of those names would be you. So <laughs> it's always just like, I have an idea. I don't know what to do. And everyone's like, talk to Cecilia. Um, well, that's
2: because I'm an opinionated, pushy broad. Let's not get that wrong. Too.
0: <laughs> Listen, as someone who's raised by two New York Jews, I, I feel very comfortable in your presence. So
2: it's the New York coming out of seven years Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, tell me what to do. <laughs> Tell me. Yeah. Can you give an example? Like for someone who's still like a little confused when you say like you're building an ecosystem, what is an example of one? Is that an so, answerable question?
2: <laughs> I think it's different depending on what your goals are. So let's take somebody like um, Kelly McLeod who started world theater, right? And Kelly found a gap that was in the community theater world. It's not that there weren't theater companies in Tulsa. There were a number of them and each one had their niche. And Kelly said that there's a gap of stories that are being told with different global perspectives, right? It's not as inclusive. We do the same shows over and over again. And some of those are, are proud favorites. So they'll still come and people want to see them. So, so when you have American theater company, that's done Christmas Carol forever that's, that's a staple, right? That's consistent. But then there are other stories that we don't hear about. So she identified a gap. <clears throat> she connected with people that she knew in the community who had an aligned perspective and said, you know what, that's a good idea. I think we should do that. And she formed a theater company. It's not that she is conflicted with the other theater companies. They just do something different. And I think that goes back to a comment that, that we talked about before we started recording, talking about the difference in abundance mindset and scarcity mindset. So if you were a theater company and saw Kelly coming in with these shows, you're like, you're going to steal my audience, right? But, but with Kelly's thinking, it's like, well, there's an audience for this. There are people that want and need this. They've never been included. So they're an untapped audience because they didn't go to the thing. But also, the people that went to those other shows, maybe they're curious too, and they'd like to take part. It doesn't mean that they're not going to go to your shows. It's going to say it's it's like improv, right? It's yes and. So it's the additive thing. And so abundance mindset is like that. It's not just one pie where we're fighting over the piece of pie, and then there's this thing that's like, where I lean into you, Chris, and I go, oh, look, Jesse's going to steal your pie. And so you hold on to it. And now you're conflicted and you're fighting over pie. Whereas we could come together and say, you know what? I like pie, but I also like cake. And then I want some cookies. And then they should be gluten-free. And maybe I need to make sure that I'm on a diet. So maybe we get something healthy and and work on that. So now we come together and say, well, here's more stuff that we can do together, Right. And so when when Kelly started World Theater, I was on the board of Theater Pops and we did edgy theater. We did theater that just made you think, made you maybe a little bit uncomfortable, but hopefully now you enjoy that going down that rabbit hole or exploring something. And so we came together and did a show together, right? Because we found that we could come together and do something. So it's the win-win and what is the one thing we can only do together? And so we created this show, and we won an award for it. So, is that a good example? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I think we 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 talk when, when we're talking to people, especially from nonprofits, like that comes up a lot. Which is like getting out of the mindset that like if if, so, if someone else is doing something that sort of relates to you, like they're going to take away money that sh- belongs to you or that should come to you, versus like it's another it's another group working on a. A bigger problem, and you need as, min- as much help as possible. Mm-hmm.
2: So we have a, a very interesting challenge, which I won't go into too much. You can get me down this conversation, <laughs> but we're not going to go mm-hmm. there. We have a very interesting challenge here in Tulsa. We have incredibly benevolent philanthropic people, which is wonderful. It also causes an issue, right? Because now we're a codependent, mm-hmm. and and it's it's a I mean, the whole conversation. There's a a very interesting book by Edgar Villanueva called "Decolonizing Wealth," where he talks about philanthropy being the new colonizer. So that you can explore that on your own. <laughs> yes, uh, but but thinking about nonprofits as a as you don't make money and you live off of grants, and that's a really bad and unhealthy way to think yeah. mm-hmm. about this, right? Being a nonprofit is basically a tax structure. And that means that you take your revenue generated and you do something else with it that doesn't count as profit. Mm -hmm. So, so if we would stop thinking about going from grant cycle to grant cycle and start thinking about revenue generation, right? Sustainability. And that's a core element of, of ecosystem building is to think about what does sustainability look like? Right. And, Mm if you think that grants and loans and and other people's money is the way that you're going to be sustainable you will always be at the mercy of that
1: yeah well speaking of that so in an entrepreneurial situation because the way that venture capitalism works it can end up affecting an ecosystem right because it it may drive the focus of the people within that ecosystem Kind of similar to what you're alluding to with philanthropy, venture capitalism can do kind of the same thing in an entrepreneurial ecosystem.
2: It can. It absolutely can. And and we've had conversations. In fact, Jesse commented to me one time that he recorded a podcast that I did and he recorded a podcast that somebody else did who's in that world. And we actually conflicted with what we were talking about. It's because our metrics of success are different. Venture capital, your metric of success is ROI. You get return in three to five years. You want to put in money and you get out money. And that's the the metric of success. It's there's not a I'm not saying there's a good, bad, or indifferent. One's more valiant than the other, that kind of thing. But you're right. So venture capital has a megaphone and it has a big healthy wallet. And if you have that, you should make the biggest spark that you can. And I've told this to the people in that space here in Tulsa. That's what your role is in the ecosystem. You make this big spark and you have people pay attention. Then there's this other group of people that don't fit into your your bucket, right? But they have ideas and they want to create things. There should be other people that are working with them. So that it's not one way or the other. It's unhealthy. Because if you can be an entrepreneur anywhere, then why would you pick Tulsa? Why? Because we have a bigger bucket of money? No. You know what? Even if we've created this to be the tech mecca of the, the Mid-South region, people are going to look around and wonder why they should stay. Okay? And... There's a big initiative in a lot of the conferences that I went to last fall talking about topophilia. Are you familiar with that? Topic? So topophilia is love of place. Mm. Okay. So there's a difference. So at the IEDC, the International Economic Development Corporation, meeting that they had in Oklahoma City, they were talking about what happened to Oklahoma City. And what's happening in Oklahoma City is pretty cool. In the last 10 years, they've done a lot. It cost them, I think, in the neighborhood of eight billion dollars, if I'm not mistaken, to get there, right? Why did they do it? Well, they they tell this story of courting a big company. We tend have a tendency to do that. Oh, let's get this big major corporation to come move to our borders. So is it two hundred and ten, two hundred and eleven? Proposals to get Amazon HQ2 mm-hmm. to move, right? So 200 and some odd communities put in that pro- proposal. You know, companies like Amazon, they're actually job displacers. They're not job creators. They just shift a job from one to the other, right? And so they're a net, I don't know, very low to net zero when it comes to job creation. The biggest job creators are one to five year businesses. And so the Kauffman Foundation, in a response to this Amazon HQ2, put out a whole initiative about growing your own and why it's important because one to five-year businesses are the ones that create jobs that have never existed before, right? And so, in fact, Indiana just tracked their GDP against um, one to five-year businesses. So Julie Heath, who's the vice president of She's the first state employee that I know that has an ecosystem in her name. It's very <laughs> cool. They map their GDP. 11.5 billion dollars of the revenue in Indiana, I think in 2021, don't quote me, was generated by 1 to 5 year businesses. That's a big impact. Yeah. So getting back to your question about venture capital, VC people. Yeah, they tip what happens, but they attract outside, right? Usually, there's, there's some that come from inside the community, but, but venture usually looks outside. So now that's outside money coming in, just like big companies or outside money coming in, that money circulates in the economy a few times. Money that's generated inside a community circulates way more times, like 100 times, in the community before it goes out. The, the other thing about venture, we talk about venture like it's a really big part of entrepreneurship. Do you know the percentage of businesses funded by venture capital? Should we guess? I think you should guess.
0: I'm going to say, so like in total of to like total businesses?
2: Total businesses. Oh. And we're talking about the United States. Okay. Uh, I have those statistics. I'd okay. say
0: 10%. I mean, based on that, that her her tone, the it's tone, a, it's gonna be low. I'm
1: I'm thinking like like three percent. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was gonna say seven. So, but originally, so <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go with ten. He's going with three.
2: Point percent.
0: Woo! Okay. 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 Yeah. We, were, we so, were off. All right.
2: So ninety nine point nine five percent of businesses are backed by things that are not venture capital. But mm-hmm. venture capital again has the megaphone and the big bucket of money, right? right? So what happens to all those other businesses? Well, when you get an environment that's cooking with all of that, then it does attract and inspire others to create, right? Oh, we could do that. But understanding that your your metric, your goal, isn't necessarily the same as those high-tech, high-growth, venture-backable, scalable businesses, right? There are people that call them mission-driven businesses, I like that term. It sounds a lot better in my mind than mom and pop. Mm-hmm. We talk, we look down at Main Street businesses, but Main Street businesses are what makes things thrive. I like Ines Polanis from Communities Unlimited, who works in rural environments, calls them, she calls them quality of life businesses. So getting back to the Oklahoma City conversation, we talk about what happened in Oklahoma City. When they got turned down by a big company about a decade ago, they asked them, why would you turn us down? We offered you all kinds of money, all kinds of incentives. We gave you land, gave you money, tax credits. Why did you not pick us? And they said, you got nothing, right? We could bring in the highest skilled labor, all of our, our wonderful workforce, and they would get here and they would look to leave. Your school suck." You've got nothing to do downtown. You have nothing of interest. And so there's no quality of life. So, in order to create that robust environment for things to flourish, we want tech companies. Great. Tech companies don't want just other tech companies, right? How boring would that be if it's just one flavor? If you could have ice cream all day long, all month long, but you could only have one flavor. I don't know. Would you be okay with that? Maybe. Hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, it depends on the flavor. But um, <laughs> no, and I guess, I mean, like, Telsa, Telsa runs into a similar problem where we try to get businesses to come here. And they're like, well, your school, your, your public school, not the public schools suck. The public schools are overwhelmed. There's only so much to do. But Telsa, Telsa loves the one flavor, right? We are a one flavor town, right? It was it was oil. And then sometimes it's not oil. And then it's oil again, right? Yeah. And and instead of, like, instead of trying to diversify overall, it's like, no, tech companies. Like there are, other th- there are other companies, too. Yeah,
1: especially since there were already some organically grown businesses that did come up, specifically banking, finance, and then all of the businesses uh, around the airport. Yeah, you know, yeah. a whole bunch of stuff like, uh, yeah, yeah. organically around those. Yeah. And then instead of finding, okay let's figure out how to continue to diversify, it was, yes, it felt like a lot of money the last five years has gone full bore into building tech.
2: And not that it's bad, Mm -hmm. right? But then we don't think about the infrastructure that goes along with that. We have huge digital divides. So I did a presentation. I'm on the board of an organization. We did a presentation to the National Urban League last year, and we talked about the geography of people that live in certain areas and realize that predominantly we did maps. There's one of Tulsa, which I've shared with people in Tulsa, <laughs> but anyway, so we talk about the geography of, of women head of households. Okay. And just as an example, there's one on Cook County, Chicago, and you map where the women head of households are. And historically women head of households are black and brown. So, so when black and brown head of households, live in certain areas. There's a geography of where they live inside your community. And then we overlaid that with the idea of thinking about the government initiatives about Build Back Better and things. So you overlaid that with where the infrastructure is. Where are your transportation hubs? Where are your pharmacies, your grocery stores, your hospitals, your schools, all kinds of things. Ooh, can I
0: guess? Can I guess? Not there. Not there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But you know, yeah. you
2: know what's there? Brownfields and digital divides. So I heard several people talk about, oh, we have to, we have to get these kids coding.
0: Mm-hmm. Right?
2: If we can teach them to code, then they will have tech jobs, which are good, high-paying jobs. Great. Where are you putting the tech coding schools? Not there. Because, and and how do they practice? Where do they get access to the internet? Where do mm-hmm. they get access to the things? You're going to give everybody an iPad to go home and, and work on stuff? How are they going to connect to the internet? Like, they can't do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you're only solving a bit of the problem, but you're causing more problems. The other thing is, you know, with all this AI stuff going on...
0: We're not going to need as many coders.
2: No, we're not. So, like,
0: not. yeah, I'll, I, as soon as you started talking about that, I'm like, We've already put, the, put those kids on a road to failure because like a lot of basic coding is going to be automated. And so it's about, it's about giving them the thinking skills to work on whatever job they get mm-hmm. or whatever the, next, you know, whatever the next coding job is, whatever we right. call that, instead of focusing on the specific thing that yeah. is hot right now.
2: And that's what sometimes, you know, when, when you talk about the venture backing and things, they watch the trends. And so when they when they look for the disruptors, right? What's the next Facebook or Google? The, are, those are testing assumptions. So you're taking a big gamble. And then what happened recently with Silicon Valley Bank and all of those, those lending institutions and the accreditation for accredited lenders, that's going to be more strict. It's going to lay, make them less risk averse. And if you're risk averse, You don't go with something you've never heard of, Mm -hmm. right? Something that's never been done before. So that's the other part. And then when you talk about, so we talk about entrepreneurial ecosystems and what is it that's being taught in academia, right? And it's usually what already exists is being shared, right? It's very hard to, to grade on fail forward. Mm
1: -hmm. So,
2: so that whole aspect of schooling is different, I mean, when you think about K through 12 education that derived from the industrial age, that nothing much has changed. So right now, we teach rote learning from K through 12. If you can regurgitate the information, you're good. You can pass and get high grades. And then if you can get past that and have the funding and the access, then you can go on to higher ed where we actually introduce you to thinking. Mm-hmm. What a concept, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so it's it's all of these things working together. When you talk about government, right? Government is actually what helps us be less risk averse because government has a larger bucket of money and they have the ability to to influence that kind of innovation on a higher scale because they can do it across big territories and... There's an economist named Mariana Mazzucato that talks about mission-driven societies, mission-driven economies and and all of the the stuff around it. So thinking about the moonshot, Kennedy didn't tell us how to get to the moon. Kennedy just said, hey, let's do this. And then everybody came in their custom and bespoke ways and contributed to that. A lot of it was funded by NASA. And NASA innovation helped come up with sneakers, Velcro, Tang, you know,
0: <laughs> the CDs, right? Totally. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's sort of like the, like the public partnership that helped like build the internet, right? People were like, we don't know what we're going to use this for, mm-hmm. but we know we want it. Let's figure out how to do it. And, you know, yeah. le- literally our entire lives are based on the internet. Now, so,
2: it, it, so, so then there's also the difference between being creative and innovative, right? Mm-hmm. Creating is making something that's never existed before. Innovative is usually taking two disparate things and bringing them together. Mm-hmm. So when you think about Steve Jobs and the iPhone, all of that technology existed. He did not create any of that, right? Right. Apple didn't make it.
0: That was kind of his move, really.
2: But, that was, I mean, yeah. but that's a yeah. boss move, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah.
0: He's like, hey, IBM mean, was like, hey, we developed this OS. We don't know what to do with it. He's like, sure, I'll take it. Right? Yeah. Like, but it, it was understanding that there was a use case for it that people weren't seeing. Right. and
2: and so he put it together with the phone yeah. mm-hmm. right and created this thing that had never existed but all of the technology that went into the iPhone existed in different ways right. so that that that's a skill set of ecosystem builders mm-hmm. in identifying and connecting dots right so so we talk about and and there's a lot of pushback around um government's not really good at this i mean look at like Lentra. and that you know, is
0: one example they use
2: well because it's the one that they come up, come yeah. up with so 500 million dollars that was invested and in loans and grants and all kinds of things you know that Elon Musk is 450 million dollars that he's acquired from government loans and grants we don't talk about the government infusion into SpaceX and Tesla and and T- uh, Tesla and all of that stuff mm-hmm. right so So you're talking about government making bets. Well, how come the government gets no credit for that? Mm
0: Because they're they're terrible at marketing. Um, (laughs) As as we know. They're getting better. Yeah.
1: Yes. But I mean, that's one of the concerns with the view of analyzing government based on ROI, right? What is the return on the money? You know, where there was a time when you could have funding for things like NASA without a specific goal or return in Mm -hmm. mind. And that led to Innovative creations that had nothing to do with space.
2: So there's an example. I don't know if I'm allowed to tell.
0: You no. can tell me afterwards. No. I, can, I can edit it you out. You can oh. edit
2: it out. Okay. Yeah. So we just, they they just passed the CHIPS Act, right? $210 billion in CHIPS funding for silicon chip foundries yeah. in the mm-hmm. United States. You know, alongside that is, is a whole bunch of other money that goes into research and development stem education which is incredible right here's an opportunity to really move education forward one of the the companies that was a major mover in this initiative this initiative was proposed over 4 years ago in that company and this initiative was was being like stewarded forward the venture Back organization that funds this Fortune 50 organization pushed back big time because there was no ROI in a venture space because this is a long tail game. Mm -hmm. So you're putting all this energy and effort into getting this legislation passed and how much money we're going to spend and we've got to fund but but the vcs looked at it like but i but we're not getting money back like this and there was a lot of pushback in
0: even in- with all of like the chip shortages we've dealt with and the fact that 90% of the chips and all of our electronic devices come from one place that is not it, there's going to be trouble at some point yes. so and like uh, that just seems really close-minded of a group yeah, of people see? who can't think more than 5 well, years ahead of time it's
1: because the timeline time frame is really short on, for most venture venture capitalists, yeah. they want to return within a certain time, and this is a long play for an entire economy yeah. <laughs> rather than a short play for the specific companies they've invested in. So
2: that goes back to the metric of success. Yeah, what is the metric of success? And that's mm-hmm. why circling back to the difference between how people like me approach the work, right? Mm-hmm. It's this holistic view of of the things that happen altogether. So going back to your question about the, the very long answer mm-hmm. to the ecosystem, I think that people think of ecosystem to be synonymous with community. And the the definition of community has really evolved historically, right? So community used to be a group of people that that lived together in a place or a group of people that had things in common. But now with this globalized community right then then it's different so now we think of an ecosystem is what are the parts that affect each other so we look for symbiotic relationships right it's the win win and and what is the the thing that we can do together so when you think about the the analogy of natural ecosystems where in a rainforest in a coral reef Things are working together. And now we identify that plants talk to each other, right? There's the whole secret language of trees and aspens are in a stand together. You don't have independent aspens, like one aspen living by itself. It's actually a stand and they nurture each other, right? And the old aspen is dying. And so I I use the analogy, I think of ecosystem builders like me, we're the mycelians. So we're the the hidden mushroom fungi network that's connected. And ecosystem builders, we know each other. We recognize each other in a room. It's like, you know, if you walk into a room, you can recognize that you're a Trekkie or a Trekker, depending on which parts you, you watch. And then if you're like, you're a Star Wars fan, you look over and you're like, ooh, you're not one of us.
1: <laughs>
2: but you're okay, right? So... So those are, there are some, some core perspectives and and some commonalities shared by people that, that you recognize.
1: So when you're building ecosystems, and you can think specifically in Tulsa if that makes it easier, but what are some of the problems or pain points that you run into?
2: So I don't do ecosystem building in Tulsa. Oh, okay. um, I was here early on, right? So, um, and I didn't like... Things were starting before I got here, but at one point in time, when I dove headfirst into entrepreneurship, I was part of the ecosystem. So, so as an ecosystem builder here in Tulsa, kind of nascent, there were a couple of a couple of meetups of people who were thinking about creating businesses. There was a pitch competition. There was the beginning of the uh, Kitchen Sixty Six incubator which I took part in. So thank you to the Lobeck Taylor Family Foundation for (laughs) supporting that initiative and continuing to. There was, it was before 36 opened. So 36 Degrees North being a a co-working space, not the co-working space. There were others before. There will continue to be others. So all of those different things coming together. So people ask me about Tulsa. What What is the ecosystem like in Tulsa? And I will tell you, that it's fragmented, it's siloed, it's heavily curated, and there's a lot of ownership, just like everywhere else. There are some wonderful initiatives that come together under certain umbrellas, and they're tangentially connected. There's also things that are happening that aren't necessarily connected. And so someone like me looks to try to connect those things. It's like that. That, that mission, right? You're driven to do this. And I want those things to work together because I know that we're better together. It doesn't happen for a number of reasons. And, and that's not, it's not good or bad. It's just what happens. So, so where I would like to see that happen, but that's just my perspective, right? And I shouldn't be heavily influencing just like nobody should be heavily influencing in one aspect of an ecosystem. It should have diverse perspectives. So now we go to the whole diversity, equity, inclusion conversation. So we, and and I'm certified in unconscious bias and, and I've been studying diversity, inclusion and things like that. And we have a tendency to focus on diversity. But diversity is already a fact. People are diverse, right? There are diverse demographics everywhere. Just peel back the onions and you see that. There's inclusion, which is the action, which we should all be mindful of. And if you're not intentionally inclusive, you're unintentionally exclusive because it's just not necessarily something that comes naturally. There's a flocking mechanism in all species. You want to be around things like you. It's a comfort thing, right? And then there's the equity thing. And it's equity is different from equality. It doesn't mean the same. It means having, having the same level, right? So my friends at Forward Cities, they came up with a framework that I try to focus on. And it adds a couple of additional letters. So they use the acronym ABIDE. And ABIDE adds to the front of it, access and belonging. So, the idea of access is that anyone, anywhere can, is able to. And that's the big hurdle in any place, right? It's the access and connectivity. So, people like me, we strive to connect so that people have access. And then there's that sense of belonging where you can show up unapologetically, authentically like yourself. That's hard. So, if you think about abide, it's access belonging inclusion diversity equity belonging
1: so when you were talking about the lack of infrastructure in certain areas whether it's tech infrastructure or physical infrastructure i mean that directly impacts the access side Absolutely. of that right the 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 whether it's a physical barrier like our like i244
2: yes i244 <laughs> okay
1: or or yeah more barriers like food deserts or, you know, lack of access to food, medicine, everything else. In many ways, that is more impactful than anything else in that, in, in a bot. Mm-hmm. Because Absolutely. without that, the rest of it almost doesn't matter.
2: Yeah. That's what we've been trying to say.
1: <laughs> what's, a, what's a tangible piece of Dude, that there, actionable step that people can take so that whether it's building part of an ecosystem or becoming a better connector within that ecosystem.
2: Oh, I have a thing. All
1: right. <laughs> well done, Chris. Okay.
2: So we actually have an initiative. Okay. Um, and I have a flyer. a flyer sure, now, which is okay. more than you had last time we talked yes. about Yes. Okay. So, so understanding that, um, uh, like Tulsa, there are other places like this, that we, we tend to wait around for things to happen. And then we, we jump on the train because somebody's built a train and it's moving, right? Um, and the idea is you can build a train or you can kind of keep pedaling in whatever vehicle you've got. And if you don't, then start walking, right? And, and the idea that you can actually do something, we tell people they can do something and they can make it happen. The thing is... It's harder to do it by yourself. You need a community. And so how do you get a community together? And so people ask me how to how how to get to collaboration, right? Because that's the goal. And if we can get to collaboration, we could solve everything. So Margaret Wheatley, who writes wonderful books, has said, no matter the the problem, community is the solution. Okay. And so taking that aspect and then not always trying to come up with your own thing, right? Use a good model because other people went through all of those trials and errors and came up with a good model. I don't like the term best practice because it, I, I have, feel like it has a tendency to make us lazy because when we have the best practice, then we're not going to try anything new, right? And you have to keep inno- innovating and, and ideating to move forward. So come up with an idea and then find people who are aligned with that mission, You have to invite them. The invitation is really important. Let's do this thing together, right? You think this is valuable. I think this is valuable. Let's do something together. Look for the win-wins. So one of the things that I I do when I have conversations with people is I ask them, what is it that supports, empowers, and sustains you? And I'm going to share with you what supports, empowers, and sustains me. And we're going to figure out the thing that we can do together that meets your metric of success and my metric of success, right? You want to do something. Well, I want to do something and I need to get this out of it. Well, I want to do this and I need this. Great. There's no conflict as long as there's visibility, right? And so we're working towards these initiatives together. But let's be very clear. This is the thing that we're doing together. It doesn't mean we have to do all things together. See, and that's where we get a little messy, right? Because we think that your idea and my idea, it comes together. And so we're always going to be friends and we're always going to do the thing. And that doesn't necessarily happen. So look at the 99% movement. They started out with one mission. Let's conquer Wall Street, right? So that beating the drum, doing all those things, that's something that people could get around. But as each of them came, because there was no framework, there was not that structure, that scaffolding to bring people together, they brought their own agendas. And then they kept contributing all those other agendas. And then that whole mission kind of got watered down. And you saw the energy starting to dissipate, right? Because there wasn't that core thing that we kept saying over and over again. Black Lives matter." It's not to say the other lives don't matter. It's to remind you that black lives matter. Okay, but like, do these black lives matter and these not so much? No, this is what we're talking about. That mission, message, clarity, clarity is a gift, right? So we keep that top of mind. Again, when we come back to, you got a thing and I got a thing. Let's figure out the thing. And then the invitation of how do we get other people to come? So now you start inviting and recruiting and telling them, this is the thing that we're doing. So as we're doing this thing, you've got other ideas, great, go do those things. This is what we're getting together to do. So we've come up with an an initiative, this is a mission. You invite all the people. You can't wait for the right people to come, okay? That's the other thing. Oh, we can't do this because so and so is not there. Did you let them know? Sure, great. The train leaves the station, right? You're waiting for, you're waiting for the big bucket of money. You're waiting for the check. You're waiting for the grant. You're waiting for somebody who's a leader, right? Why can't you do this? So now we start to go and we build community around the thing. And we have to remember that it's the doing that creates the community. We think it's the output. Oh, let's have this event. No, no, no. The event is an outcome the doing is the community because once you get these people together you can host a number of different events right you've got this core team with good competency and and they're they're grokking and they're they're working together and and you see this synergy happening and you go oh can you do another event and you go sure we got this because you got this team so that community starts building this communication And you cannot quiet the dissent. What happens when you quiet dissent? Because it's really annoying when people complain about something, right? And we think that if we shut them down, then the problem goes away. The problem never goes away. People go away. So it starts getting quiet and you think, oh, all good. And then that problem rears its head again because you never solved the problem. You just got rid of the people who cared enough To bring that problem up. If they didn't care and it wasn't a problem, they wouldn't have said anything. People don't want to make noise just to make noise, right? Because then you don't fit in. That whole assimilation thing, no, shut up and stay there and just cheer when I tell you to cheer. What good is that? So then after you build the community, then it becomes to coordination and alignment. So this coordination alignment becomes things like traffic laws are a good example. For me to get from here to Brookside where I live, I would go in a straight line as quickly as I can, ignoring every traffic light, every stop sign, every one-way street, right? Because my goal is to get from here to there quickly. That's efficiency. Well, why do I slow down? Why do I not turn down this street? because I'm part of this community. So I care about the community, and that's why I do that, right? And so it goes back down. That coordination and alignment cannot happen until you create the community, and people in the community care enough to be able to coordinate with other people. So that's how you bring people together, and that's how you get to collaboration.
0: And so that leads you into talking about this event that you have a flyer for. <laughs> I was like, I was like, she's going to tie this back into soup somehow. she going to do it.
2: Okay, so so I just want to make sure that that we talked about. So I wanted to make sure we talked about the invitation, the community, the communication, and visibility, mm-hmm. and then the coordination alignment. Yes. Okay, great, you got it. perfect. So, um, not coming up with an idea all out of our own heads, right? There's a great model um, called Soup. It um it didn't start in Detroit, but Detroit really refined the process. And it's a community event. And the idea that you as a member of the community can have an idea and get other people excited about your idea enough to support it. So we are collecting. It's the the website is TulsaSoup.com. We are sorry. So tulsasoup.com, we are collecting ideas from the community. This is nothing against any of the other initiatives that are going on. This is nothing instead of. This is we we follow rules of improv, yes and. So these are ideas. And and if you're sitting out there and out there listening to the podcast and think, I have an idea. I would like to create a playground, right? Or or uh, we need a community garden, or we should have this after-school program, and these are the things that we need to do. We're collecting all those ideas. There will be a selection of four ideas that come out of the ones that are submitted. We are going to be convening together as a community. Everyone can come. It's an admission of $10 in cash, or you can Venmo or cash cash at us at the event. We will put the $10 in the basket at the door and that includes a bowl of soup. That's why we call it soup. So you're nourished, you break bread with people in your community and you get a vote. And we're going to vote because those four presentations are going to happen during the course of dinner and everybody who's there gets to decide which idea should get funded. And at the end of the night, we're going to take that basket of money and we're going to fund that project. And that's it. So There's not the only follow up that we ask is that they come back to in a subsequent event and let us know the progress that they're making.
0: So at the Tulsa dream
2: center, thank you, Tim for hosting us and, and the whole crew. So, so when we put this thing together, I've been talking about it to a couple of people and they said, that's a great idea. We should do it. Okay. We didn't wait for permission. We just waited for good timing because all good, innovation, including entrepreneurial ideas. Timing is some element that we don't talk about, how important that is. And so we've come together, a friend of ours, who's really good at website building. I don't know if I'm supposed to name names or not. You can name name names. I can name names. Okay, so Aaron Belsley built a website and did kind of the branding stuff that he's really good at. Charlton Cunningham has been working on on communications and getting things out. He put together the flyer. I rally troops around. So I just keep telling people about it and inviting people to come. We've got people like Tim Newton, cause he volunteered the space and there's, there's a number of people, Aaron Wiggum, Andrea Williams, Kyle Smith. They've, they've all just shown up. Mm-hmm. See? And they said, I heard that you're doing this thing. How do we help? Right, coop that owns silhouette, and and people just want to be involved because they know that we can come together and do something and they're lending their own individual wonderful skills to the process, right? And so they're raising their hand. Nancy, Nancy Bruce at Lambrusco's will be making soup for the people that show up. So get soup and a vote and that $10 goes to fund an idea that comes out of the community.
1: That's so. really cool. You know, it's funny when you're talking about it, it made me think of the, I think it's um, maybe European folklore about the stone soup. And I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if that was where this came from.
2: I don't know. So, but that's a good, you should tell people about that analogy.
1: So the stone soup, someone who is very hungry and not eating says that he will make soup. And so he has a pot of water and he puts in um, a stone into it and it's like oh this is this is really good but you know it would be better with and he keeps asking different community members for small things like hey can you bring a little bit of salt can you bring uh, a little bit of potatoes just little things and so everyone in this village brings one small thing and at the end it actually ends up being a delicious soup which started with water and stone so that's what it made me think cuz it is a community coming together with all kinds of different ideas together mm-hmm and coming up with one hopefully amazing idea at the end.
2: So we're hoping that that outside of the funding that project and and look whatever we collect that night is not going to fund the whole thing, right? But also it gives people a inspiration to think about something that they can come up with. The other thing is that you might not you might contribute financially, but also there's an opportunity to lend a hand so if it was a community garden and you garden or you have gardening equipment or, or if you will purchase seeds, like you can contribute outside of just the $10. So, and then the other three projects that don't get funded, we're hoping that people will also contribute to those. So it's not that we're, we may financially be funding a project through what the donations are and And if you have more than $10 to share, great. If you have less than $10, then, you know, it's not like we're going to turn you away that you can't have soup and be part of this. So we don't want it to be a burden and a hurdle, right? You should, you're part of the community. So
0: That's great. I mean, I'm, I'm excited for this event specifically just because it's, it's, I'm, I'm excited to see how like the voting goes and like the, emotions slash facts that move people. Mm-hmm. And this is gonna be. Fun. I think it's going to be fun to to watch and experience. Have you submitted a proposal yet, Jesse? I have not. I don't really... I I know people who should be submitting proposals. I have nothing uh, specifically. as just want to fund me. Maybe um, you
1: should uh, sit down and think about Maybe you can come up with an yeah, idea.
0: Maybe. Uh, money to just tear down one very small part of my 244. <laughs> uh, well, Cecilia, thank you so much for taking us through like this very... like intensely interesting and complicated world of like how people do things and how like they should be doing things. And.
2: Oh, I don't know. I tell people what they should be doing. You
0: <laughs> advise people on <laughs> the best ways to maybe do a
2: thing. I don't know. Well, hopefully, I mean, people, people have said to me, you know, when I talked to you, I I was hoping that I would have some answers. And, and my goal is for you to have better questions
0: mm. so I honestly it's very Jewish of you <laughs> it, so. but
2: but I also you said it's complicated and complicated makes it sound like it's difficult it's complex there's many different layers and there's a big difference between complex and, and complicated so it's not simple but it's worth it I, mm-hmm.
0: sta- I stand corrected <laughs> Cecilia thank you so thank much. you so much Thank you all for listening to our episode with Cecilia. She's incredible. Meet with her if you can. She will help you in whatever, pretty much whatever you're trying to do in the world. She can help you. Um, as you know, Pod for Good is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, even occasionally TikTok. I am posting some audiograms on TikTok. So please like those. So I feel like it is worth the effort. Um, and uh, of course, uh, thank you to our our sponsor, Tallgrass Estate Planning. As you heard from the ad, like just... Do it. Get it over with. They'll help you. <laughs> P- please like and subscribe. And as always, Telsa, get it done. Broken Arrow, get your <laughs> together. And be kind to one another. Bye, everybody. If you're like me, you might hear estate planning and go, "Ew, gross. You might think to yourself, I'm not sure why I'd bother with that. Estate planning is only for the uber rich.
1: Tallgrass begs to differ. <laughs> Tallgrass founding attorneys Laurel and Riley think everyone should have an estate plan. They know estate planning seems untouchable to a lot of folks, like something you have to do inside a stuffy law firm of stuffy McLawyer pants, Esquire.
0: But I promise you, Tallgrass is nothing like that. For one, they work out of their home so their clients can feel at home. They obsess because they're nerds over making clients feel like they belong and are supposed to be there. Also, their kids might make an appearance. They will take time to answer all of your questions, even the uncomfortable ones. They will work relentlessly to make sure your plan is exactly what you need to feel secure and at peace.
1: So if you've been putting off planning for what's going to happen after you've gone, it's time for you to give Tallgrass a call at 918-770-8940 and start your plan today. Or visit their website at tallgrassestateplanning.com and schedule a free initial consultation. For free! it's right there on the website.
0: And of course, there's more because this is the podcast ad. If you tell them you're a Pot for Good listener, they're going to take 25% off their service fees. Just tell them Pot for Good sent you. Stop thinking estate planning isn't for you and give Tallgrass a call today at 918-770-8940 or on their website, which I'm not going to read out to you again. It's in our show notes. Thank you Tallgrass.